And so, Paul concludes, all humanity, Gentiles, Israelites, are hopelessly trapped and guilty before God. But that is not the final word. The good news about Jesus is God's response. Instead of holding humanity guilty, Jesus came as Israel's Messiah to die on behalf of all people as a sacrifice for sins. As our representative, Jesus took into himself all of the just consequences of the pain, the sin, and the death that we have caused in the world. And he overcame it all by his resurrection from the dead. It's his new resurrection life that he makes available to others. Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. And all of this, Paul says, is how God justifies those who trust or have faith in Jesus. Now, justification is another rich Old Testament term for Paul, and it's related to God's righteousness. It literally means to declare righteous. Because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we are given a new status before God. Instead of finding us guilty, God declares that a person is in a right relationship with him and is forgiven. Justification results in a new family. The person who trusts in Jesus is given a place among God's covenant people. Justification also results in a new future, which begins a journey of life transformation by God's grace. And so all of these things about justification are God's gift to those who through their faith are in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us who are gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I managed to hurt my knee this week, so I'm going to sit down while I preach instead of trying to stand on it the whole time. Um, which means you get to see less of me, and that's a good thing for you. So we've been going through uh, the Global Methodist Catechism, and what we've been doing these last two weeks and, and into today is the first part of it, which are called the ecumenical affirmations. And these are the things that Christians in all times and all places agree upon. And then next week and the two weeks following that, we'll do uh, the, the things that make us distinct as Methodists. And this week, we're, we're, in a sense, summing up what has already been talked about. It's talking about what God does for us. How does God save us? How does God work with us once we're saved? And so we've got two passages of Scripture. The first is from Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And in the second passage we read last week, but it's going to bear repeating this week, and it's Hebrews four, fourteen through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All have sinned and fallen short. We got to get that like tattooed on ourselves somewhere. Uh, you know, write it on your bathroom mirror so you can see it every morning. Put it on billboards and bumper stickers. Get it everywhere. And not because we all need to feel bad about ourselves or feel guilt or shame all the time, but because we need to be kept humble. We all have to be reminded that there is nothing about us that makes us better or more holy than anyone else. We are not and cannot be superior to anyone else. And before you start to think that, yeah, I mean, of course that's true, and I know that, and I never think that about myself, um, you're wrong. You do think that about yourself. You absolutely think you're better than other people. We all do it. It's a universal human condition. You may not realize it. It may not be a conscious thing. It may not occupy a whole lot of your thoughts. But on some level, there are people in your life who you think you are better than. We pass judgment on other people all the time. And we do it without even realizing it. It's not even a conscious process. It's almost like a reflex. We judge people who have had less earthly success than us. We judge people who do things differently than us. Even if there's not really a moral difference, we still do it. We judge people who annoy us. Yeah, now you all feel awkward. And we definitely judge people whose religious and political beliefs don't match up with ours. All the time. But that's not all we do. We judge ourselves, too. It goes both ways. We compare ourselves to people who have had more success than us, or who seem to be receiving greater blessings from God, or who seem more holy, or who seem more mature, or who just in some way seem better than us. And in doing so, we assume that we are lesser than they are. We make ourselves believe that those people are better than us, more favored by God, or less of a sinner. Now, it's a common mistake when you read passages like this one in Romans to, to say that God views all sin the same way, that all sin is equal in the eyes of God. And folks, that's just not biblical. It, it's, you just take a quick scan of the Old Testament and you'll see that God clearly views some sins as being far worse than others. Mistreating the poor, sexual sins, sins against life like murder and assault, pretty much in that order, are treated a lot worse than anything else. The point is not that no one sin is worse than any other. The point is that we're all guilty of pretty much all the worst sins, except, I hope, for murder. Y'all didn't laugh enough at that one, and I'm a little worried. <laughs> Left to our own devices, we'd still be committing all the worst sins. The whole reason God had to give the law in the first place is because without the law, we do all the worst things all the time. And you see it happen in Genesis. This is why it's good to have someone to confess our sins to. It's why Wesley insisted the early Methodists of his day would meet in small groups of three to five people each week to hold each other accountable so that no one could fool themselves into thinking that they'd managed to overcome their own sinful nature. 
And it may be true that by purely human measures, there are people out there who are both better and worse than you. There may be people who are more loving and more kind. There may be people who are better than you at your job, more successful, or more moral, or better at upholding their ethics. And, And we look at these things, and we form judgments, and we rank people, including ourselves. And those rankings determine how we treat people, and they determine who we associate with. They determine who we will allow ourselves to spend time with. I know everyone in this room would gladly give food to a homeless person, but how many of you would actually become friends with a homeless person? Would spend time with them, get to know them, find a way to genuinely enjoy their company. And the reason most of you wouldn't is because on some level you have judged them and ranked yourself higher. How many of us, on the other end of it, have refused to accept help from someone because on some level we think if we accept help, it's a statement that we're not good enough, that we've failed. Both problems come from the same source. They're both the result of ranking and judging people based on purely human standards, but all have sinned and fallen short. Everyone needs grace. Everyone needs Jesus equally. And absolutely none of us are righteous. God is righteous, period. He's the only one. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. It's his righteousness, not ours. Now, I agree with the kids that group projects are terrible. (laughs) Hated them all. Uh, But I definitely benefited from them. And most of the time in school, I would contribute a lot, to, or, or as much as I could. But I always would need the other students to do things like, you know, create the presentation on the poster board, uh, or, which is, you know, or, or do the public speaking part, because they're more creative than me, or because I had a fear of public speaking, believe it or not. And so there were things that I couldn't do well that they could. But most of the time, it was, it was at least a somewhat of a true group effort. Um, and I, I didn't usually sit back and let the others do the work, but sometimes I did. Because uh, there are some subjects I just wasn't good at. Math was never my thing. All my math-based coursework was a struggle for me. Every time, every year, never got better no matter what. And by far the hardest class I ever took was the college physics class I had, which convinced me to switch majors afterward. Um, you're welcome. Wouldn't you? If we hadn't been allowed to do all of our labs and all of our homework in groups in that class, I would have failed. No doubt about it. I, I didn't do anything in that class. It's not an exaggeration. I did nothing. I contributed nothing but my natural charm and beauty to my group. Right? They did all the work because I couldn't. And they knew it. Every time I tried, I failed miserably. And it just so happened that one of those, those group members was a classmate of mine from high school who knew in advance I couldn't do any of this stuff. <laughs> so the other two students in my group did all the work, and shared it with me. They earned the grade, and they shared it with me. And they did it knowingly, right from the get-go. See, Paul does not say here that we become righteous through Jesus' saving acts. What he says is God's righteousness saves us. Because God is righteous, which means he is faithful to his covenant. The whole passage is about God, not us. The righteousness of God is manifested in Jesus. 
And why? It's to show his righteousness. Because he's passing over our former sins. Because he is just and he is the justifier. If any one of us is holy, that's a gift from God, not something we achieve on our own. If any one of us is more moral or more ethical or more loving or more kind than another, it's a gift of God. It's not something intrinsic to ourselves. We have no basis for judging others or ranking people precisely because it's God who saves. It's God alone who is righteous. It's God alone who is faithful to the covenant. God alone who is just and who justifies us. See, God does for us what we cannot do. God is righteous, we are not. God justifies us because we cannot. God removes the stain of our sin. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to be holy. God enables us to love, to serve, to live according to his covenant. And even now, Jesus himself is interceding on our behalf. Which means even now, he is still working on saving us. It's not as though you put your faith in Christ and then you're all set. Like we're just holy and righteous and good to go from the moment we put our faith in Jesus. No, Jesus stands before the throne of God, praying for us. Asking God to forgive us every time we sin. Because we all still sin. And each time we do, Jesus is up there asking God to forgive us. Asking God to show us the way to live. Praying for our guidance. Jesus, the righteous one, is standing before God on our behalf, pleading our case. And as he does this, he sends the Holy Spirit to live within us. Because the job of the high priest wasn't just to go and pray for the people. The job of the high priest was also to instruct the people in the ways of God so they could follow the covenant faithfully. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to do that in us. See, we're incapable of following Jesus on our own. We're incapable of being righteous. On our own, all we can do is be human. Judgmental. Angry. Hierarchical. But God does not leave us alone. The depth of his love for us is such that he remains righteous when we are not. He fulfills the covenant when we cannot. He passes over our sins, he leads us, he teaches us, but most importantly, he himself lives within us to transform us in such a way that we are able to follow him faithfully. Because all have sinned and all have fallen short. So none of us has any reason to think highly of ourselves, but equally, none of us has any reason to think that we are worse than anyone else. We're all sinners. We're all guilty of pretty much all the worst ones. We've all failed. And on our own, we all will continue to fail. Jesus is the only one who hasn't. See, God does not merely save us. He changes us. 
He transforms us. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. God came to earth as one of us in order to fulfill the covenant that we could not uphold. And now God comes to us as the Holy Spirit to live within us, to empower us to fulfill the new covenant, which otherwise we would be unable to uphold. It's all God, all the time. He does all the work. It's God who does it all. And thanks be to God, because otherwise it would never get done. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.